With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, Prince George. Thank you for tuning in. This is Trudy Clausen here, and today I'm very pleased to have, <clears throat> for the first half hour, my guests from the Prince George Fire Rescue. I think that's both where you call home, right? <clears throat> and so my first guest, or my, my two guests are Andrew Zelensky and Tana, Tanya Spooner. Um... Let's maybe start with Andrew. Um, what's your position? What's your what do you do at uh, Prince George Fire Rescue? Sure. Okay. Well, thanks for having us for one, Trudy. My name's Andrew, and I've been on the fire department here for uh, going on fourteen years. So okay. I was in the suppression side of it for the first nine, and then in two thousand nineteen, I moved into the fire prevention role. So now I work in an office doing prevention, uh, investigations, inspections. And then uh, 30% of my role is also public education. So today I came here oh. to talk to you a little bit about fire safety. All right. Very good. And Tanya. Hi. I'm the manager of emergency programs for the city. And I've been in that role for just over a year and a half now. Uh, but I've been with the city since 2004 uh, in various roles. Uh, and I've been part of the city or the province's emergency program for almost 30 years since 1994. Okay, and you were recently, or should we maybe go there after? Maybe we'll go there after. Okay, so sure. starting with you, Andrew, um, fire prevention. Uh, so, I mean, you, you spent years in, in, in suppression, and so did that, was that sort of part of your impetus to moving to fire prevention because of what you saw and you thought, oh my goodness, we should be doing more here, or like how was that for you? Like that process. No, uh, well, the funny thing is, that I always saw myself going to the prevention side of things. Oh, okay. Education is is one of my favorite things, and yeah. and getting to do that for a department is probably one of my favorite aspects of the job. But unfortunately, I was moved into the position due to an injury at the okay. time, so it wasn't what I wanted at the time, but it was where I wanted to be eventually. So, uh, 2019, I, I tore my knee, which kind of led me down that direction. <laughs> and uh, I'll do that. But no regrets. It's turned out great. Now yeah. I get to uh, go around making sure the properties are safe and, and teaching the way I wanted to. So Okay. So just a, this is a question from out of left field, sort of. Do you go into schools as well, or does someone else do that, or, or how is that happen? Yeah. At our Department, we only have one person who does public education right now, and that's myself. So okay. every kind of aspect of program I do. So we do school programs. i got a grade four program we do senior programs oh. uh fire extinguishers uh that's the the main mean potatoes of what we do but uh a right. little bit of everything so okay all right so tanya what is your job normally throughout the year so throughout the year it's really um planning for the city's emergencies so um ensuring that we have plans in place for evacuations that we have plans in place for when we receive evacuees from other communities, yeah. um, knowing where our river, river levels are at, what, where we're at as far as flooding, freshet, things like that. Um, we do a lot of work um, in monitoring the river levels and ensuring that we don't have another ice jam like 2007. Yes. Um, and then I do a lot of work regionally to make sure that we um, really are regionally prepared to how we react to wildfires, making sure that we know exactly what all of the risks and hazards that uh, could impact our, com our community are. And we have what, what we refer to as an all-hazards plan in Prince George. So really making sure that our planning for what we would do fits that role. We do a lot of training. So, in fact, next week we're, we've got all of our, our emergency operations center staff coming on site and doing two days worth of training to make sure that they all know their roles and how they fit together. 
and just really making sure that we have a, a tight and efficient plan to make sure that we can all be safe. All right. Well, I know in the summer it went, um, all of the emergency stuff seemed to be going quite, quite well. I mean, we didn't have a massive amount of local, um, uh, I guess, supply of programming. I mean, we had some all, yeah. all summer, but it wasn't a, a huge influx like yeah. we had o- some Over years. the summer, we did have about 400 evacuees come okay. here during, yeah. okay, during the period. Yeah. So it was actually a fairly significant year. Yeah. I feel like my team is really doing our job and not impacting the rest of the city when we're able to sort of quietly be doing those evacuees. <laughs> okay, you know, Receiving go. those evacuees. That's why it felt and like And not nothing. impacting the rest of the city or having it really... Um, come to the forefront. And so, so you felt you were able to do that really well this year? You're pretty happy with how that went? Oh, in general, yes. We, um, you know, I think this season was incredible in so many ways, provincially. Um, we had a, a huge number of people coming from all, all, all different directions this year. So um, early in the season, we had uh, evacuations coming from the Dawson Creek, the Peace River area. Uh, later in the summer, we had people from coming from Burns Lake. We were prepared for and actually helping remotely with evacuations from Kelowna. Okay. So there were periods where we really sort of had it coming at us from all directions. Okay, yeah. So one of my focuses in this part of the year is really um, refining those plans with the province to make sure that Prince George doesn't become such a center that we actually can't accommodate the people that are coming towards us. So right. making sure we have better planning in place. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So, so back to you, Andrew. So let's, uh, so <clears throat> fire smart, fire prevention. Um, what do you think? So, I mean, do you have something prepared or would you like, just like me to ask you questions? How do you want to do this? Well, I, I got to say in regards to in fire smart, I got to let Tanya speak on that because her role involves more of the fire smart yeah, side. Okay. And we, you are... we promote it, but I, I teach fire education mostly. And... Okay. So what are you, what are you teaching these days and how, and like, what's your sort of every, like if you're going somewhere, what are you talking about? Okay. So the, we do a, we gather all our fire statistics all the time and we send them to the province, the office of the fire commissioner. So every year. They gather statistics across the province of what's needed, what caused the fires, leading causes of fires, fire deaths. And they've identified that community awareness and fire risk reduction are lacking. Uh, I think 45% of homes only had working smoke alarms in the fires from 2022. Like in our city? Uh, province-wide. 40%? 45%, yeah. Whoa. So my goal when I go out is just to create awareness of all these oh things. Uh, after every every education session I give, I'm hoping people at least take away one or two things that they weren't aware of before and hopefully increase the safety of their home and their knowledge of how to get out of their house safety. So I, I teach right from the young age. We do a hazard house production where we take a little, it's almost like a dollhouse and it's got imitation smoke and we bring those to the kindergarten classes and start teaching them from a young age of what happens to if your smoke alarms go off, what this sound is, oh how to crawl out, don't go back in your house, all the way up to, you know, senior older adults of back to the basics of fire safety too, because wow. that's when it gets important as well of getting out of your house. People yeah. underestimate, you know, how the quickness of fire and what they need to do to prepare for it. So my goal is just to go around and teach them all those little things oh my about how to be fire safe and then how to get out of your house safely. So well. how do you teach kindergartners how to escape from their house without them getting terrified? 
Well, you know what's funny? The teachers always say, how long is your presentation? I said, well, an hour. And they said, there's no way you're going to hold attention for a five-year-old for an hour. But, <laughs> but the, the interaction of the house is oh. amazing. They they get involved and they love it. And the, the smoke and what it gives off, it just it creates a little atmosphere. Oh, of course. It's fun learning for them. So uh, the main thing I enforce them is for that age is to get out and stay out. We want to teach them that if the smoke alarms go off, if there's a hazard in your house, that mom and dad are going to be okay, your, your caretakers are going to be okay, your pets are going to be okay. That's you what the fire department is coming out. Yeah. To how to get themselves out safe. Stay low under the smoke and get out. Do not hide and uh, do not be scared oh, of the yeah, fire or the, the smoke alarms. That's the biggest thing, right, for kids. Because yeah. we find that uneducated kids a lot of times when they, if there's smoke or fire, their first instinct would be to go hide under bed in the closet. So. Our goal is just to teach them that they need to get out, out. and not to hide in the house. Wow. Yeah. I, that's, that's interesting. It's just like, I mean, I, I know that when kids are lost out in the, in the forest, they will sometimes hide and, and it'll take the searchers longer to find them because they're hiding. <laughs> and so, so what other things, um, when you're going around, so, so getting out, that's, you know, that's the first thing that you're teaching. Uh, what about, um, like beyond that, uh, like in terms of prevention, what are the kinds of things that are sort of priorities these days, and what are the things that maybe are going unnoticed okay. or un, you know, that we don't think about enough? Yeah, I mean, it's that time of year right now where, where space heaters and heat sources are coming out. Winter <laughs> yeah. is getting cold. I knew so you'd mentioned space heaters. <laughs> these are the leading months of where space heaters and heating sources are causing fire through the next three months. They're the top sources, so we focus on just basic safety of heat sources, keep them away from combustibles. You know, unplug them. Don't use unre- and the stuff that's not tested or in a laboratory that's certified. Mm-hmm. Um, just the little things. And then uh, the main thing is is smoke alarms, though. So we want to make alarms. sure that everyone has working smoke alarms. So in their what house are you recommending these days? Thing. How many how many smoke alarms in like let's say an average like house with a like just a small bungalow house with a upstairs and a downstairs? So what what I do when I go to create awareness is a lot of people think that they're protected with smoke alarms in the house, but the thing is that the the codes have changed over the years. So you know, ten years ago, I'm not sure the exact reference, but the building code might have been just one smoke alarm per level of your house, and then it changed to a smoke alarm, let's say, outside the bedrooms, and then it evolved to a smoke alarms inside the bedrooms. But depending on when the house was made, to what time of the code would be what they have for smoke alarms. So some people just think if they see a smoke alarm in their house. They're protected, they're yeah. but nowadays what we recommend is at least one on every level. You want one outside the sleeping rooms, you want one in every sleeping room, and then you want them all connected to what's called interconnected, so if one sounds, they go off everywhere in your house. So if the fire starts in the basement, it's going to also sound in your room as well. Okay, okay, so okay. So that, <laughs> I'm going I'm to ask a, 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 maybe a ridiculous question. Yeah. Is it that we've just gotten dumber? Like, what's the problem here? Like, why do we need so many fire alarms? Like, have, have we just gotten that we're sleeping more like, or has the speed of fires? I think just statistics say they, they realize that this, what was happening before, wasn't given okay. the best chance for getting out of your house. So okay, they just so we have more data. So it's not more that we data. are just dumber and we don't, we're, you know, we're sleeping through fire alarms. That's no. not the problem. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and right. I'll admit, I was guilty myself. I, yeah. I, Put one is a perfect example. I have kids at home, and I put a smoke alarm in every room. Uh, but the ones in the room are just battery operated. Yeah. So we have a t- uh, suite in the basement and yeah. a smoke alarm down there. And there was actually a situation a couple months ago where the smoke set off the basement one. And now they, like I mentioned, they were interconnected. So when one goes off, they both go off. But the only ones I had connected were the one in the hallway upstairs and the one in downstairs. But in my head, I thought if it's going to go off upstairs, it's going to wake everyone up. But 
Do you think any of my kids woke up in the middle of the night when the smoke alarms are going off? Not one of them. So Really? That was a real eye-opener to me. So even yeah. having them in your room, if they're not connected to the other ones, they're only going to go off in your room if the smoke or fire is right in your room. So Okay, so I'm just thinking about this and going, oh dear, does that mean like you have to actually have wiring to connect them? Well, that's the nice thing about technology nowadays, and, and this is what I teach, is you have, uh, they have lithium-ion battery options now. Okay. So they have a battery in there that's actually rated for 10 years, and I've seen some companies go all the way up to 20 years. So, yes. And these ones here have wireless technology, so... Okay, okay, so you don't have to do wiring, so you can, you're still, it still just looks like a regular fire alarm that you're just screwing to the, like... Yeah, uh, it just ceiling. got two screws, you put it up on your ceiling, so those people that don't want to spend all the money to get a company come in to wire it, I just want to get the knowledge out there that they don't have to do that option. Okay. So local department stores in town, there's quite a few of them that carry yep. them, and they're lithium iron, or iron, sorry, wireless interconnected smoke alarms. Oh, and then okay. you just open them up, you hold the button, and they, they connect to each other as you install them, and, uh, and then you just screw them up on your ceiling, and then when one goes off in your house... They all go off, and like I said, those batteries are rated for 10 years, so it's low maintenance, too. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's that's really interesting, and, and just that whole idea of, like, if there's a fire in one part of the house, it's going to affect the whole whole house, right? Uh, and that's why you're recommending this. Yeah, so. and like I said, about, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, the, the, the construction of the houses and the material inside, everything burned a lot slower than it does now, too, so they, okay. they say... There used to be about eight minutes that you could safely get out of your house by the time the smoke alarm would go off. Nowadays, with the materials and how things burn and the construction of the houses, they say you only have about one to two minutes to safely get out of your house before your chances drastically reduce. So, boy, that's and that's sort of where I was getting at earlier. Is like, are we just dumber? But no, it's actually like that's a significant reduction in time to get out. It's significant, yeah. A fire moves so fast that within five minutes, your whole house could be on fire from a little fire that starts in a corner of a room. So. Wow. So is it, I mean, is that something that we need to look at and maybe go, wait a minute, this is not a good good thing that we're doing? Is it because we're using so much uh, petrochemical products? It's, it's a little of that. It's the construction. It's the lightweight wood. Just every, everything that people are making is, is cost efficient, but there's also downsides to it, right? So wow. things can go up cheaper, go up faster, yeah. but there's also downsides to that as well. So, so. so do you know the uh, statistics for Prince George? Like, I mean, how many, like, are we... Like, where are we at in Prince George for, I don't know, what are some of the things that we need to, if we're thinking, well, you know what, it won't happen to me or whatever, is that, like, how how are we doing on the rate of fires in Prince George, home fires? Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a data collection system to compare what we get every year easily. So what I reference is the provincial one, so we hand all our stuff in. Okay. And I can tell you that, that provincially, it's scary, actually, i got a number of references. So there was a 46% increase on fire-related deaths from 2022 or 21 to 22 in the province. So in 2021, there are 59 fire-related deaths, and in 2022, it jumped to 86. Whoa! So I mean, part of that could have been well, no, but that was I was thinking COVID, but 2020 was really our year when we were all stuck in our houses more, more yeah. so, right? It's just that this is a scary one. So it's from 2018 in the province here. Uh, to 2022, there's been a 207% increase in fire-related deaths. Wow. Yeah, that's a scary one. Right? I mean, but that, that shortening of that time span to get out of your house, that has got to have something to do with that, right? Yeah, it does. And just education. So the province has actually uh, started a program where they put out starting in 2024. It's a smoke alarm awareness campaign. I don't know if you heard of it. No. Nope. Um, we've got $1.6 million towards this campaign. Okay. So, and it's supposed to start, I think, in January. And their main target is going to be through social media. So they want their their main goal is smoke alarms. 
they want to get education about it. They want to get awareness out. They're going to put bus stops, social media, um, okay. market on the on the radio and the news. So they're just going to use that money and trying to get across to everyone the importance of having working smoke alarms to give you the best chance to get out of your house safely. Okay. All right. I think what we'll do now is we'll we'll take a break and then we'll be back talking with Tanya Spooner about FireSmart and about your new position with the province. The Beatles formed in Liverpool in 1960 and consisted of John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. They are widely considered to be one of the most influential bands of all time. The band's innovative songwriting and musicianship, as well as their charismatic personalities and sense of style, helped to shape the popular culture of the 1960s and continue to influence music today. Join us on Thursdays at 6pm for Apple Scruffs, only on 93.1. Canadian Tire thanks all their families, friends, and neighbors for supporting local businesses in 2023. Your continued patronage allows us to support this great community of ours. Canadian Tire is extremely proud of their staff who have worked hard every day and continue to ensure that our Canadian Tire is one of the best in the country. The Canadian Tire family wishes for health, happiness, and peace for all. Thank you for keeping Prince George strong. Santa loves Coop's Bike Shop. He usually asks their elves for help with gift ideas. Coop's has brand name snowshoes, skates, and skating apparel, and of course, bikes and bike accessories. That's right, Coop's Bike Shop is your year-round sporting goods store. Locally owned and operated for 50 years, get great deals on snowshoes, skates, skating apparel, bikes, and bike accessories at Coop's Bike Shop. Gift ideas for everyone on your Santa list. Coop's Bike Shop, open Tuesday through Saturday in the Nicholson Centre. Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with wind at 15K. Temperature steady near minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 10. Cloudy again tonight with a 40% chance of flurries overnight. More wind, a low of minus 7 with a wind chill to minus 11. For Friday, cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries. Winds continuing, a high of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 8. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back talking with Andrew Zelensky of Prince George Fire Rescue and Tanya Spooner. So we've just heard from Andrew about the importance of smoke alarms and get out of your house. If your house is on fire, get out. You have only about a minute or two to get out in in the average house. Um, okay, but, but Tanya is the... Uh, like we, we all sort of celebrated and did a little happy dance for her because she got appointed to a position at the province doing what? So I have been uh, named to the Premier's Expert Task Force on Emergencies and Wildfires. So that is a... A newly formed task force that came out of this most recent wildfire season that uh, really is tasked to quite quickly come up with some ideas and solutions to prepare the province for the upcoming fire season in 2024, which, you know, we're already seeing on Facebook and people commenting on how dry it is out there. Yes. It is going to be another, I think, really busy season next year, and we need to be prepared for it provincially. So um, have you already... Begun to work, or are you still just getting ready for it? We absolutely hit the ground running. So we've been meeting since um, shortly after the premier announced the names of the members. Uh, we've had four different, uh, I think, four different meetings of the task force itself so mm-hmm. far, including a full day session uh, in Kamloops. And one of the things that I've been 
been doing a lot is participating in engagement sessions with emergency management and ESS, emergency support services practitioners, um, or communities that were impacted or had ESS running this summer, uh, to really get their experience and see where their concerns are or, you know, what their positives are with the program as well. So, okay. So where will that, this, um, this, what is the goal, sort of the end? I mean, I, like I know that you said to prepare for the next fire season, but sort of what are you hoping to come out with? So the province or the premier has actually identified uh, nine deliverables that they, he specifically is wanting us to work towards. Uh, everything from how we use protective technologies uh, within BC Wildfire to figure out, you know, where fires might happen, the danger ratings, things like that to how uh, BC Wildfire interacts with volunteers, interacts with uh, professional fire departments, um, how we sort of cover that gap between what we call the WUI, the Wildland Urban Interface, so that space between where wildland comes up to urban areas. uh, That's where there needs to be a little bit of extra training. That's where FireSmart comes in. Um, How we can really advance and promote FireSmart because that really is what individuals can do with their properties and for themselves to prepare for wildfire season. Uh, and then looking at the, the bigger picture of the entire provincial emergency response system and um, ESS evacuations, how they're run, how we work with vulnerable populations, how we work with First Nations. Okay. Uh, uh, it's, it's a huge mandate, it is, and it's yeah. a very short timeline. Yes. We're expected to have recommendations out by the end of January, so February 1st <laughs> is our deadline. And so this is where I can see that that's why you would have been appointed, because you've got all the experience, and you've probably, in your head, you have a bunch of stuff. So it's not like you have to start from scratch trying to figure out. Yeah, and I'm incredibly fortunate, I think, as one of the sort of practitioners of emergency management on the committee, I, you know, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people fringely and, and, you know, every, everyone I work with is, is so generous with information and ideas and their experiences. And, you know, one of the things that I've really learned from the engagement sessions is, you know, within Prince George, we're really focused on mass care events and and hosting yes. other evacuations. We've been incredibly lucky uh, not to have wildfires yes, we in our community. Well, and we can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, so I'm within these engagement sessions, I'm learning more about the actual learned experiences of those communities with that have actually experienced the wildfires. And, you know, obviously I'm using that towards my task force, but I'm also using that for my day-to-day role and mm-hmm. how we prepare our city better. Okay. Well, that brings to mind the Structural Protection Unit. Is that what you were thinking? Well, the Structural Protection Unit and uh, really FireSmart in general. I think we're going to talk a lot more about FireSmart in the coming years. And uh, and we really want to put a big push out there on the public responsibility for ensuring that their property is safe. Okay. Uh, okay, so let's talk... Uh, let's see, how should I... Okay, let's talk first about the Miracle Theatre's um, support of the Structural Protection Unit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just Absolutely, uh, yeah. and and uh, thank you very much for, for mentioning it. So Miracle Theatre's, so um, Anne Laughlin and Ted Price, um, annually since 2015 have identified... Um, 
projects within the community that they want to support with funding. And so they put on a show every year through Miracle Theater. It has professional, uh, actors. professional actors. Yeah. They, they get the license for it. And this year they actually, uh, on their holidays were impacted by fires, um, in and around their holidays. And they sort of kept on running into, into fires, into wherever, fires they wherever they went. And, yeah. uh, that prompted them to find out, Hey, what could we do? What are we doing in Prince George for, to prepare for wildfires? How prepared are we? What makes a difference? And, um, it was interesting because I didn't know that they had done that research when they came to me and asked, what could we do? <laughs> yeah. And so I, you know, when they asked, you know, I was like, I came initially with some really small projects because I didn't really know much about Miracle Theater. Yes. And then when I heard this, the scope of how, how large projects they could fund, I sort of went, well, a structural protection unit is something that we really need. And within the current grant process, which is how we would get one normally, it takes four years to get a full structural protection unit. And what that is, is it's that sprinkler unit that goes out to a neighborhood and there's structural protection specialists of firefighters that are specially trained on how to place those that equipment to and best. What we're talking about is sprinklers, right? Yeah, sprinklers to yeah. keep the homes and the yards Exactly. Wet, it's the, the very specific sprinkler systems that um, can really make the difference in a wildfire. And, and we're talking, this is generally the interface fires, and interface mm-hmm. fires are the ones that where the forest and the city meet, sort of. Is that I'm Pretty right? much. When, when structures or assets start to become involved. So okay. Infrastructure. Oh, okay, but, okay. Yeah. Um, and that and that fundraiser just to give the Ted Nan a little bit of a blurb. Yeah. Um, where can they buy tickets? So People tickets are... can be purchased at Books and Company. Uh, the play that they're doing this year is a comedy of tenors. Yes. Um, and it's going to be held upstairs at Book, Books and Company. Tickets are great. They're thirty seven dollars. I think they yep. said something incredibly reasonable. And the Run goes from March the 13th, and I believe it's about a four-week run. Right. So plenty of opportunities there. And we there. want to have it held over so that we can we raise more do, money. We do. We do. We uh, we desperately need this unit in Prince George. Yes. And we've committed to still go through that grant process to get a second one as well. Yeah, and that's something that I've, I mean, it's just been a matter of time. Like, we have been the host city for so many years, but it is just a matter of time before it hits us. We absolutely have. I'd like to think that some of that has to do with the preparations that we do and the work we've done, we've done a number of uh, mitigation will, projects. Yes, and this goes uh, into the fire smart thing, Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, so we've done a, a number of mitigation projects in and around the sort of forested areas around Prince George. Uh, Broady Road is one that uh, they're doing uh, this, this winter to uh, make sure that we're a little bit more protected on the west end of town. And we are working towards our creating our fire smart grant for next year which we've always sort of worked really closely with regional district of Fraser Fort George on fire smart mm-hmm. so they've led the charge mm-hmm. um, but we're really realizing how important it is to bring it into the municipality and into that the urban areas mm-hmm. and basically fire smart smarting is Having, uh, either someone from the city or, you know, individually going through a checklist of your home, what's around it, what's close to it, where your wood pile is stacked, what, you know, materials are in and around your home, and really being conscious of the flammability of them and, mm-hmm. and what would happen if a, if a spark hit your home. And it's usually the spark that'll get you. It absolutely is. So fire smarting, 
it makes a tremendous difference because if we can stop those sparks from catching something, it prevents a whole lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, and that's the whole thing. So we are basically out of time to uh, to chat with the two of you. So where can people go for more information about FireSmart and fire prevention? So FireSmart, uh, FireSmart BC actually has okay. a website. So FireSmart.ca. Fire uh, we'll have more information about FireSmarting coming up on the city website in okay. this in the spring. Uh, right and ready for getting people ready in the spring season. All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. And uh, and Tanya, all the very best. And uh, thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks again. All right. We'll be back after these messages with Stuart Muir from the uh, Resource Works BC. In response to tremendous interest, non-returnables has been held over at Two Rivers Gallery now on through January 7th. Non-Returnables brings together artists from across B.C. with work exploring our relationship with plastic. Representing a wide range of perspectives, the exhibition provokes a consideration of critiques, solutions, and reimaginings of plastic and its impact individually, socially, and environmentally. Non-Returnables, now on through January 7th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. At Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, we ask numerous diabetics to monitor their blood sugar after enjoying our baked goods and then share the results with us. Some said blood sugar went up, but the change was so mild it was irrelevant. Several said their blood sugar was unchanged, and several others showed us their blood sugar actually went down after eating our baked treats. If you're diabetic, check us out for yourself. You'll love our baking at Deb's Cafe on 7th and Quebec, next to Pharmasave. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. It's not too late to get your vehicle winterized. To get it done right, visit Auto Magic on 15th. Tires, coolant, general service, brakes, imported or domestic parts, wheels, shocks, and so much more, Auto Magic is the place to go to keep your vehicle in tip-top shape for the long winter months. Book your appointment with Auto Magic today and get the job done right. Call 250-564-3224. Open Monday through Saturday from 8 to 5, Auto Magic on 15th. Your vehicle will thank you. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right. Good morning, everyone, again. Thanks for joining me. I For my last half hour, I have got Stuart Muir of ResourceWorks BC. Welcome, Stuart. Thank you. Uh, so uh, now... Okay, where do we start? We've got so much to talk about because... Where do uh, we start? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like that, isn't it? There's so much going on in this space. Yeah, well, how about we start with um, what is ResourceWorks and what are some of the current projects that you've got going on? Yeah, uh, truly 10 years ago, it was seen that in British Columbia, there was a real deficit that was quite measurable. There was a poll done showing that a lot of British Columbians didn't connect the economic dots on things like having the great quality of life they have and what pays for that. And in BC, the, the case is that you know, 10 years ago, and it's still true today, that the natural resource sector, the things that we you know, extract and grow and, and process and, and ship to the world, 
are the driver of the BC economy. It's still true. And we set out because the the need to understand this is so great to do a project that it's been now a decade since we started. What do we do? We uh, file reports. We produce reports. We do submissions to government processes. We communicate with important segments of the public. We have an event we've been doing for five years. It's one of my proudest things, the Indigenous Partnerships Success Showcase. Every year in Vancouver, ever since the DREPA legislation, the Indigenous uh, uh, Rights legislation came into law, we said, let's look at the economic reconciliation point of this, because that's going to be a big driver in the future economy of BC. Let's find out what's working, what's not. Let's get the leaders from First Nations and First Nations-led and owned corporations, and let's get people from industry, from government, from crown corporations to come and see and talk about how they're working together. So that's been a big part of the work at ResourceWorks. And going into 2024, we're growing because it seems like the ideas we talk about are sometimes disputed. We know where we stand. We have the facts. And we want to make sure that uh, as many people as possible know this information. So what are the kind of things that are that are being disputed and what do you feel is most is most essential, crucial for people to understand? I mean, I, I, I get it, but uh, but but some I know um, some people still think, well, no, we can actually um, just like in terms of the energy transition, we can just do that on a dime and and we'll just be wealthy with clean energy. Is that a realistic thing? Well, when you consider that 80% of the energy we all use, every one of us, regardless of what your views are on things, 80% of the energy comes from fossil fuels. That's just a fact. You know, the, the, the things that go uh, into, into your, your home that are sold at businesses that uh, go on your table, I mean, all of these are heavily dependent on fossil fuels. And I asked the federal energy minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, who I met on Friday last week, um, what, he, what he thought um, the, the future was. One of the things he said was, even by 2050, when we have all this talk of net zero, 50%, according to his prediction, and it's not necessarily everyone's prediction, 50% of our energy in Canada will still come from fossil fuels. You know, there are those who think it will still be much higher because it's so difficult to shift. Uh, you know, recently we had the uh, world's most respected en- energy scholar come to speak for ResourceWorks in Vancouver. He's a professor from Winnipeg, Leslav Smeal, who goes regularly all over the world to talk to large audiences, and he came out to Vancouver to share his findings with us. You know, he, he points to the intensity of our energy lives in terms of things like steel and, and ammonia that go into fertilizer to grow our food and plastics. And you you cannot imagine the world without these fundamental substances, all of which are incredibly fossil fuel and energy, energy intensive. So all of us want, I think there's agreement that we, we need to have lower emissions. We need to get uh, places faster in terms of policy. I'm going to Dubai next week to be part of COP28, the climate gathering, because I want to be there to witness firsthand these conversations and uh, make sure that we understand what's being said and what it means for us. You know, these are important questions, and I, I, I want to emphasize that because, um, you know, coming from a place of wanting to see improvements and how do you do it, you're up against this problem of how we live. Well, and, and it's it's a bit of um, a reality dose. Uh, can we talk a little? I mean, I'd love to go down the rabbit hole of the COP22 or 23, but 
let's talk about the reality of it. Um, yeah. Clean BC yeah. came out with some very um, uh, disturbing <laughs> numbers. Uh, not that not that Clean BC project is uh, talking about this, but uh, tell me a little bit about what happened going down Clean BC's rabbit hole of what would happen. What's what's going to happen? I think their goal, like the BC government's goal, is to be is it carbon neutral by twenty thirty? Yeah, yeah, net uh, zero, uh, carbon neutral. You know, I know there's all these promises and, and years thrown around. At this point, I think everyone's just confused. At what year are we talking about? Twenty thirty, twenty five, you know, twenty uh, thirty five. Um, in Nanaimo, the council voted to ban natural gas in twenty twenty four because they they think that's when they should do it, which I think is uh, uh, upsetting even the the people who provide electricity because it, it's unrealistic. We're also hearing about twenty fifty. I don't think it really matters particularly what the year is in these targets because we have more fundamental issues that aren't clear. And here's one of them, which is that if you follow uh, the current D.C. government uh, plan on decarbonization, if you get to 2030 and you do all the things that the policies say have to happen, here's what's going to happen according to their own research there is going to be a $28 billion a year reduction in the size of the B.C. economy. That's kind of an abstract thing, $28 billion, what's that? Okay, put it in terms of a family household. Imagine you are the breadwinners in your home. You're going to see an $11,000 reduction in what you're bringing home by 2030 if all of these current B.C. government policies are followed. Now, that's research that was talked about by the B.C. Business Council, which as you know from the name, it represents business. But you know what? The numbers, the research was not done by the Business Council. It was actually done by a company called Navius Research, which is an independent research firm. It's respected by groups across the board, whether in industry or in environmental organizations or government. They all go to the same group. This group found that when they measured, they, they would have a reduction, uh, as I've described. And they went further. They went into the detail and said, we're going to see a 15.8% reduction in transportation. Heavy industry will decline by almost 20%. The fossil fuel industry, of course, you'd expect that to decline. Yes, it would decline by 18%. Buildings, less, you know, less ability to build buildings. So all of these things shrink dramatically by the BC government's own numbers. Hmm. But here's what's interesting, Trudy, is that when this revelation was made, uh, which happened this fall, you know, the Business Council was out there talking about it, their economist, uh, Ken Peacock, has been in media. It's been picked up by Vaughn Palmer, the columnist of the Vancouver Sun. He was talking about it last week. The response has been um, basically, you know, how dare you talk about this? Or you're wrong. You're, you're misinterpreting this. Now, the economists who've studied it at the Business Council are reputable, highly trained and accomplished uh, economists. They stand by their interpretation, even though they've come under attack from one minister from the provincial cabinet. Um, the environment minister is disputing it. But I, I, I think the, the sense is that this, um, th- this projection is what will happen if these policies are followed the way they are. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate that it's been turned into, well, you're saying this and you think there might be a reduction according to the economists, and if you think that, then you must be a climate denier or something, which I think is... <laughs> It's like, well, let's let's talk about the numbers. Let's talk about these actual projections and see what it means. Because 
okay, we want to see industry get you know cleaner and more efficient. We want to see our own homes be more efficient. We want the world to be a better place. We can all agree on that. Let's let's not get into this bashing thing, you know, that we're we're seeing. Let's That's talk right. about some more practical solving. And it's you know, I, I don't think voters are going to support that kind of reduction to how much they have to run their homes. Okay, so it is time for a break, Stuart. So mm. we're uh, we'll we'll pick up on that um, after these messages. Thank. Join the Forever Young Chorus for Songs of the Season Friday, Saturday, or Sunday at the Elder Citizens Recreation Center. Tickets are just twelve dollars each. Available in advance at the ECRA office or at the door. Enjoy a great evening of seasonal favorites Friday or Saturday, or take in the afternoon performance on Sunday. The Forever Young Chorus, ringing in the holidays with songs of the season, Friday through Sunday at the Elder Citizens Recreation Center on 10th between Vancouver and Winnipeg Streets. Have you ever been curious about life drawing or modeling? Two Rivers Gallery is offering a free introductory course on the basics of both in January. Everyone 18 and older can take part to expand their drawing skills, learn how to model safely, and potentially join the Two Rivers Life Drawing Team. More information is available at the gallery and through tworiversgallery.ca. That's a free intro to life drawing and modeling for those 18+, plus, January 8th at Two Rivers Gallery. Enjoy a gentle Tai Chi session with instructor Tom Hind at the Prince George Public Library. The sessions are held on Fridays, alternating between the two libraries. Tom will lead attendees through a Tai Chi form with easy-to-follow gentle movements, which can be done either standing or seated. Gentle Seated Tai Chi is a free drop-in event aimed at adults. The next session of Gentle Seated Tai Chi with Tom Hind will be Friday between noon and 12.30 at the Nachaco branch of the Public Library. Forecast from Environment Canada, cloudy today with wind up to 15K, temperature steady near minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 10. Cloudy again tonight with a 40% chance of flurries overnight, more wind, a low of minus 7 with a wind chill to minus 11. For Friday, cloudy with a 40% chance of flurries, winds continuing, a high of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 8. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back here uh, speaking with Stuart Muir of ResourceWorks. Uh, before we went on break, Stuart, you were talking about uh, how much there was a bit of pushback from the, the B.C. government about the interpretation of their numbers um, or just the fact that not not necessarily somebody was saying to me, well, that's your interpretation, but it's like, but the numbers in that report, um, because I, I've seen the, the, that report um, put out by by uh, BCBC, are from Clean BC themselves. Yeah, that's right. And when you look at the data, the conclusion that the economists are drawing are that there's going to be no job growth of any sort of, uh, you know, expected um, uh, economic uh, flourishment coming up. It's just not possible. And let me quote Ken Peacock, he's the economist, he says, we are concerned about serious job losses and serious impact to income over the next six years. So uh, reverse gear for the BC economy is what we're looking at. And if you're uh, you know, an, an earner, if you're a business person, you should be concerned about this. If you're an investor who has... Uh, uh, you know, your RRSP savings or your TFSA in, in companies um, that you depend on the income for, well, that's going to be problematic over time. It, it affects everybody when we have negative but growth won't or it shrinkage of the economy. Won't it also affect how much money we have to spend on healthcare and education? Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, uh, there's 
certainly uh, a suite of offices that belong to the environment minister in Victoria, but there's also one where the finance minister works. And uh, based on my knowledge of BC finances, which I've covered as a journalist over decades, I was at the Vancouver Sun, I was responsible for business coverage there for many years. We would go to the annual budget lockup and our, our team of writers and columnists were on these issues all the time, and I've, I've been part of this for, for the longest time, I can tell you that uh, it's of concern to the government economists and the finance department people when there's less money coming in. Absolutely. And yeah. that's, it's, it's obvious why that is. I mean, someone's got to pay for schools and hospitals and roads and bridges and all that stuff. So what do you think, um, why do you think you're getting like pushback just on, on that, on those you know, clean BC's own numbers. Why are ministers and everyone saying, well, no, no, it can't be? Yeah, well, I, I, I think that one thing that's happened in I mean, recent I'm years, and you we to saw be a this in forestry, <laughs> where a lot of the forest policies that have been pursued are the ones directly advocated from inside government by activist organizations that have become extremely influential and are writing the policy. Now, that always happens. It, it it is a question of what happens to it when decision makers get a hold of the recommendations. You know, they're the ones who have to be wise in making choices. But I think in forestry, we saw that um, a lot of a lot of policies that were kind of aimed more at the emotional perceptions of forest management, as understood by urban residents who maybe set foot in Stanley Park and seen what they believe are some old growth trees, which aren't. Um, for the most part, you know, ruling how policy outcomes are designed. Mm-hmm. And when we don't hear from the forest communities the way we should, then we don't hear from uh, the, the registered professional foresters who have such a vast amount of the expertise, but we only hear from environmentalist organizations who have a particular agenda, and, and we all want to have, you know, parks and, and a healthy forest in B.C., and that's something, again, we all share. Um, but we also need to have the economic use of the forests. So that the, um, the wisdom in that saying uh, there is that there is wisdom in a multitude of advisors, like we're not doing, we haven't been doing that apparently, hey? Yeah, and uh, there are certainly signs that the same thing has happened in other areas of policy, particularly around climate and emissions, where we have, you know, the only people that you see, some of the ministers um, on the stage in public with are lobbyists from the renewables industry and, you know, God bless them all that let's hope their their industry should flourish. But you know what? Eighty percent of energy today comes from fossil fuels. If we're not working constructively, collaboratively, together with everyone to come at ways to to grow the economy, to lower emissions, then it's not gonna work. So so I think, you know, we have just a little bit too much influence and what's needed in this mix is greater voices, more more voices, and, and louder voices of those who have a informed and um, and I think uh, well principled approach to the issues, and that's missing right now. And that's one of the things that ResourceWorks is is going to be doing later this year. In fact, later this week, uh, we're going to be announcing and next week unveiling an exciting new project for 2024 which I'd love to tell you all about, Trudy, right now, but I have to keep the wraps on it. But okay. we're going to be out there in 2024 communicating on these very issues so that uh, we hope we can we can elevate the level of energy literacy 
That's much needed. Okay, so uh, what we'll do then is we'll take a break right now, and then we'll c- come back and we'll talk about okay. some uh, um, about the electrification uh, process and some of the issues that you see coming up with that. We'll be back after these messages. Two Rivers Gallery is looking for artists interested in having their work in the gallery shop. Their shop sells beautiful works made by an array of extremely talented and skilled local and regional artists. If you're a potter producing pottery, which would be a good fit, email shop at tworiversgallery.ca. It's an opportunity to get your product in a quality gift shop just in time for Christmas shopping. Open Tuesday through Sunday for Two Rivers Gallery Shop in Canada Games Plaza. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Canadian Tire thanks all their families, friends, and neighbors for supporting local businesses in 2023. Your continued patronage allows us to support this great community of ours. Canadian Tire is extremely proud of their staff who have worked hard every day and continue to ensure that our Canadian Tire is one of the best in the country. The Canadian Tire family wishes for health, happiness, and peace for all. Thank you for keeping Prince George strong. It seems like just yesterday, you bought your forever home, you raised your family, you created memories. Time passes swiftly. The stairs now very much a burden. The experts at MediChair North BC are here to help you live life without limits. Talk to us today about modification options to stay in your forever home. MediChair North BC, your neighbors in care. Visit us today in Prince George or Cornell or online at mednorthbc.com. It's after nine on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back talking with Stuart Muir of Resource Works. Uh, Stuart, you uh, forwarded to me just an interesting thing that I hadn't uh, heard about, about some of the going forward and, and looking at electrification and then looking at the different, uh, you know, the BC government had announced that we wanted to be the hydrogen hub of the, maybe, I don't know what what is the world or whatever. Uh, so if you can talk a little bit about that. But, 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 you know, before talking about that, Trudy, yesterday there was some news out of Alberta. The Dow Chemical Company, everyone's heard of Dow, they announced a $6.5 billion path to zero project that they're going to build. It's a chemical facility. They're going to make it carbon neutral by 2050. So the Canadian Minister of Industry came out. The Premier of Alberta was there. They're going to build this great new ethylene cracker in Edmonton, Fort Saskatchewan, just outside. And they're going to increase the capacity by some fabulous number, 2 million metric tons more per year. And uh, this is being celebrated as a net zero project. But you know what? It relies entirely on natural gas as the feedstock, which is great that's, because that's what you need to make chemicals. So so there's the federal government excited about this. They're writing checks for it. They, they want it. But when it comes to B.C., a lot of people are perplexed. Why is the federal government not talking about natural gas? They don't want to talk about LNG. You know, the energy minister was invited to a big LNG gathering in Vancouver last summer. In his own, almost in his own writing, didn't bother to show up 
there were people from all over the world wanting to find out about Canadian cleaner gas, which will displace coal in places where they want to lower their emissions. But we are hoarding our natural gas for some selfish reason. I mean, that's what it looks like to those countries. That's what they say. So that's, that's Alberta. The federal government is encouraging investing in natural gas in B.C. Uh, they're not... In B.C., there's a, well, at Prince George, there's the Fortescue Hydrogen Project. That's, what, a $3 billion proposal to build uh, green hydrogen capacity. You'd think that would be great, you know, for the decarbonization agenda. But, unfortunately, there's not enough uh, electricity to power this plant. And I think a lot of people may have seen uh, the development last week where some candid musings on the part of the British Columbia Energy Minister uh, were um, talked about in, in media because they were kind of accidentally uh, put out there. And, you know, I think it's it's kind of confusing. So if BC Hydro is not going to encourage the development of a net zero project like hydrogen, but is going to say, well, you know, government has told us we can uh, serve your power needs in Prince George as long as you make your project a lot smaller or you pay full whack billion dollars to build the necessary transmission, et cetera, to get power to you, you know, that's not exactly a way to encourage the Australians to make their investment into hydrogen in Prince George. So why so, so why is that happening in Alberta? Why is the federal government investing in this uh, project by Dow, um, with Dow in Alberta, and yet somehow seemingly wanting to ignore the whole LNG uh, opportunity here in B.C.? Yeah, well, if I knew that, I would have also yeah. the, the answer to the Cadbury caramel. You know, how did I get the... <laughs> Stuff in the middle question too. Yes. Really, I don't know. That's that's weird. <laughs> it, it is weird. It, you know, what, you think Alberta, which is at loggerheads uh, with, yeah. with Ottawa, they're fighting them on pensions, all kinds of they're things. They're fighting them on emissions cap. They're fighting them on you know. Just imagine an issue. They're probably they're probably at on it. And what what's the the Ottawa response? Hey, we're going to go subsidize you to build a huge natural gas powered. Uh, Thing in, in Edmonton, great. Um, and then in BC, where I think the, it's fair to say the, the government has gone out of its way to be accommodating to the current government in Ottawa, uh, they, they are um, part of this kind of cone of silence over any topic to do with uh, natural gas or LNG. They don't want to talk about it. Even this week, I think, in the legislature, um, I, I, I didn't hear it personally, but I understand the Premier... Uh, was not uh, very encouraging in some remarks on the future of LNG. In you know that's an issue in which he is very much uh, I think isolated from what the rest of the world sees because the world needs cleaner forms of energy that are available today. You know and 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 affordable. And that's why we want natural gas shipped from the west coast of, of BC. But we're not getting that to them very fast. Hopefully we'll have you know the LNG plant in Kitimat finished soon by 2025 or earlier. So I just want to touch uh, back on something that you mentioned at the very beginning when we were talking about um, resource works working with First Nations and uh, either First Nations-led um, businesses or owned by bands. Uh, and, and the reason I was thinking of it is the LNG project that I think is First Nations-led up in, is it Kitimat or Terrace or Stewart? Mm-hmm. It's in Kitimat, yes. You're thinking of the LNG Canada. You might be thinking about Chief Crystal Smith from the High School First Nation, who has been such a champion and a visible one on this project and what it means for her nation. Yes, and then there's also, but I think it's uh, Prince Rupert. Isn't there another one coming on board there? 
well, there's the active one being proposed, the Casilla Sims project, which is the Nishra First Nation, oh, yes. and they are uh, proposing a, an export plant, as, just as you say, from uh, north of Prince Rupert, but on that on that coast. And it's, that yeah, I think I think the advantage that I and and just this is just you know maybe a kind of different conversation, but what I see the advantage for First Nations investment in in the resource sector is, I mean, it's very obvious. It it will help their communities. It'll it'll build wealth and provide opportunity for their people. Um, and you mentioned that you have been working together with them on that. Is that that's I understood that correctly, right? Yes, you know, since we started our work. Uh, there's been a shift in perception by the Canadian public. Only a few years ago, I think the major media narrative was that when it came to anything with First Nations and economic development, you know, First Nations were against projects, which I knew from my travels in the north, from from uh, particularly Prince George and West, when I personally traveled and I sought to be invited to, to learn from First Nations, I realized for myself firsthand that, in fact, the truth is very different. Uh, First Nations that I've met do want to have a pathway to build services for community members and to restore languages and all, all the things that leadership in First Nations uh, are burdened with. And you have to be practical about that. And so uh, in our work over five years, we've uh, made sure that the media is getting the information and they can share it. I was looking at a, a poll result. I think now 60% of Canadians do believe that First Nations are part of, important part of the, the economic future of Canada overall. So I think there's some good news happening there. But you know what? There's still low awareness, and we need to continue to work. That's why we're doing uh, year five of our event next June in Vancouver. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Stuart. And uh, I just wish you all the very best. And where can we find uh, information on your upcoming campaign? Yes, resourceworks.com. It'll be all over the website Tuesday morning when we launch. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. All right. Uh, join us tomorrow for Friday Political Panel, which I think is going to be, I'm going to be a guest along with Brian Skacken with uh, Rez Krebs and Nicole Fraser talking about the Airbnb uh, notice of motion that we filed. We'll talk to you tomorrow. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFISFM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM Prince George, proudly supported by community-minded organizations like Trout Creek Collaborative Solutions, facilitating informed natural resource management decision-making.